verse 1, Ezra chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, just a couple of verses. Now, if you did not get in your three chapters, what is that about? We have a 90-day challenge, a 90-day challenge for 2023 at the base level. We're trying to have 200 people in church on Sunday morning, but what that is taking is Pastor Devonshire wanted us to come up on another level. So 2023, 20 minutes of prayer per day, two invites, two invites or people invited. And when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of God, of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And we'll take verse 2 as our key verse to read it once more. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And I want to preach on the title of a message, Taking the Heat. Taking the Heat. Reverend Tuhig, sir, would you please pray for the message of next month? Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message, again, is Taking the Heat. What does the phrase, take the heat, mean? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) It's an informal or a slang American term. Why do I say that? Because in English, right, we have British English and we have American English. There's New Zealand English, Australian. There's all kinds of English. So it's an American slang term, which means to accept blame or withstand disapproval. To accept blame or withstand disapproval. As in the, as in the sentence, don't worry about it. We'll take the heat. You can tell him we pulled rank. Also, to endure severe censure or criticism. As in, he was known for being able to take the heat during a crisis. And so it uses this term heat of intense pressure that you are facing or the person that is taking the heat is going through intense pressure. As in the proverb, if you can't stand the heat, what? Get out of the kitchen, right? If it's too hot for you, then move on, all right? But when we get to the book of Ezra, we see people that took the heat. Why? They withstood the very fact that they were the ones, that the Jews, these people here, who were in captivity in Babylon, before that they were in Jerusalem. Life was good, but life was a little bit too good for them. It was so good that they ignored God and everything that God had wanted them to do. They had filled their lives with corruption and sin, and God had allowed for the Jewish people to be in captivity and to go out into Babylon as captives, in exile. 
And so when we get to the book of Ezra, God has given them another chance. The God of faithfulness is allowing them to go and be restored and to go back to Jerusalem, to rebuild, to start with the altar, to rebuild the temple, to bet their lives and to build their lives back up for God and to let God know, God, we need you. Jesus came and he took the heat for us as well. When we were in sin and we were the ones that did it, God didn't just lay it all on us, but Jesus decided, I'm going to go there. I'm going to take the heat for them. I'll go to the cross for their sins. I'm going to do something about it. So we're glad that Jesus takes the heat for us, for our sin. But in your own life, in your own life, when you feel the pressure especially from God trying to get you to go up to a higher level. What do you do? Run out of the kitchen? No. You're supposed to rise like yeast, all right? When yeast gets heat applied to it, it starts to rise, and that's how we get bread. God wants you to come up on a higher level, on a higher plane. Let the heat be applied from God to your life. So we're talking about three things, building the altar, Burning the sacrifice and being like yeast. Building the altar, burning the sacrifice and being like yeast. Building the altar. We have a, a Crossroads Kids Club. At the Crossroads Kids Club, we have one at the YMCA at, at, on Fridays at 4 p.m. We also have one at the Baylor, at the Baylor Elementary School. It's for, for kids from uh, in the grades of kindergarten through sixth grade. And so we go out there, this is at, at the public school over there at the Bayless Elementary School. We go over to the public school and we teach them about Jesus and what God has done for them. And how we want for them to, to be able to, when that time comes and that day finally comes, that they decide that they're going to pray and, and to give their hearts to God, that they know how and what it takes and what it means to be a Christian. And they'll accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. But at this particular crossroads this week, I, I teach the, uh, the small group, the small group lesson. My wife teaches a large group lesson, and, and Sister Debbie's over there helping us. And we got a, we got a couple of kids. Boy, they are Mr. And, and Super Energy. We call them the Energy Brothers. All right. <laughs> Debbie knows when she's downstairs. She knows what I'm talking about. But in this particular time this week, they moved us out of the cafeteria. We had a whole cafeteria. I mean, we go in there, we run around, and we play games, and we kick kick a ball and everything. Charity goes over there with us. Charity's three going up against these, these 10, 10 and 11-year-olds. She's awesome, amen? <laughs> she can hold her own, okay? <laughs> but they had moved us out of the cafeteria, and they put us in, the, in this hallway. They had a couple of tables and, and couches and whatnot. And so we took the, we were going to, we were supposed to play dodgeball that day. And I didn't, I didn't realize how small this actual place was that they were putting us in. And so one of the kids, he came over there, you know, he, he, they want to play soccer now. So he kicked the ball and, you know, the exit sign that's supposed to be hanging up on the ceiling. It's not so much hanging up on the ceiling anymore. <laughs> I said, uh-oh, one of the lights is kind of hanging a little bit. Of, uh, uh, that's not good. Okay. Guess we can't play that anymore. So we did uh, uh, crab crab walk soccer. That'll slow him down a little bit. 
And so when it was time to go, we do that for about an hour and a half. And then when it was time to go, we went. Uh, I took them over into the cafeteria because that's where mom and dad normally picks the kids up. And so as we're waiting, I had the ball over there. And then we were kicking the ball back and forth, acting like we were at the World Cup. And then one of the kids left, and there was one more kid left. So we were back kicking the ball back and forth. And I, I went to the door, and when I moved, the kid, he kicked the ball over on my side. Well, you know those flag poles that holds up the flag that, that's sitting there got the base on it? The ball went right at the flag pole. Hit it, knocked it over. The little spear that's on the top of there broke off. <laughs> he said, go. I said, oh, no. He said, oh, great. This, this isn't good, okay? I got the exit sign. I got the light. Now I got this thing, okay? He said, he said I'll make sure nobody's looking so you can fix it while, you know, while nobody's here. <laughs> I mean, it was broken. It's one of those ones that you, that you twist and there's something goes on top of it. It was broken. I couldn't fix it. And so his mom came and I said, hey, I'm going to take the heat for this, all right? So, I, you know, I took it up there. There's nobody at the school. It was 5 o'clock. So I took it up there and I put it in the window where we come and we sign in. And I put the little thing there and I'm going to call. And I didn't have any paper to leave a note. So I'm going to call Monday morning and say, hey, um, you see that little uh, spearhead that's up there? You're probably wondering what that is. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, we did that. <laughs> so I am going to take the heat. I hope it's not thousands of dollars of heat, but I'm going to take the heat, all right? The theme of the book of Ezra is the faithfulness of God. And here are these, these Jews, they, they, they're coming back from captivity. We described a little bit, I described a little bit about what happened before they went out there. They were out in Jerusalem and life was so good. And, and, and they had the presence of God, they had the temple, they had the worship of God. Everything looked good at that, at that level of where they were supposed to be spiritually. But on the inside, there was corruption, there was sin, there was idolatry, there was adultery in the physical sense and in the spiritual sense. They had decided that, hey, we're going to build our own lives and we're going to live whatever way we want to. And we're going to ignore the fact that there's a God that allowed for us to even live like this. And so God had allowed for them to go into captivity. The enemies called the Babylonians. The Babylonians, they were a rough group of people. They had came in. They were building up their kingdom. I believe they took over the, the Assyrians that were there. And they were some bad dudes. And the Babylonians were even badder. And they had Nebuchadnezzar. And so they came into Jerusalem. They put a, a siege up against it. They, stayed, they stood outside of the, of the Jerusalem walls. And so nobody could get in and nobody could get out. Nothing could come in. No supplies could get out. And they came in and they ransacked the place and they burned down the temple. They, they ru ruined everything. They took the women and children, did all of these things, killed the king and, and killed his sons right in front of them. No, they didn't kill the king, but they put his eyes out as they killed his men and everything, and they led them away. That was the northern part, and then the southern part, they lasted a little bit longer. If you weren't here last week, I preached about Hezekiah and Hezekiah when, when they had all of this spiritual uh, 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 coldness going on, and he had opened back up the temple and the worship of God. And so they, they were king. There was a, a bad king, but then there was a good king. So they had a few good kings, and so God had had more mercy on them, but they had a string of bad kings, and God said, that's it. I'm done. They're going into captivity. 
And so the Babylonians came in, and the southern part of Judah, as you read at the end of 2 Chronicles, if you're not a Bible reader, this will make you a Bible reader, okay? You get the history of the people of Israel and how to apply it to our own lives. And so at the end of 2 Chronicles, you see them going into captivity. It was to last 70 years. And during that 70 years' time, the Babylonians had been taken over by the Persians, it was Medo-Persia. You can read about some of that in the book of Daniel, about the, the Medo-Persians and the Persian overlord. He became the one that said, hey, I want the Jews to go back out there. God had put it upon his heart. Let the Jews go back to their homeland. There were several million Jews in, in, in that place at that time. But they all didn't take heed to the advantage of them being able to go back to their land. Maybe some of them were being lazy. Maybe some of them were scared. There were enemies out there and there were no walls. They would not have any protection. But remember that God is our protection. Amen. Remember that we don't have God to protect us. It doesn't matter how many guns you have. It doesn't matter how many bullets. It doesn't matter if you've got alarm systems and dogs and, and fences 10 feet high. If God doesn't protect us, nothing can't protect us. So there they are, God giving them another chance. Thank God for another chance. Amen. Thank God for a second, third, fourth, all the way to infinity. Amen. I can't tell you how many chances God's given me time and time again. And so Cyrus said, go back. Now there were several million Jews, only 50,000 and decided to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. And so they were going back to rebuild, and they were taking the heat. What does that mean? They were taking responsibility for their actions. They were, they were saying, okay, we were the ones that messed up. We were the ones that were wrong. We did not look to God. We did not give God everything. We did not make the sacrifices that were necessary to show God we love you. God, we need you. God, we want for you to be everything in our hearts and in our souls. God, we're not the ones that are going out there calling out to the world. Come and follow our God and make sure that you have your heart right with him. That was the call of Israel, the same call that we have right now not to build our own lives but for God's kingdom to be built not to put our own lives in the front but to put God in the front and let our lives revolve around him we try to make God revolve around our lives as if we're in the center as if we're everything we're the sun and God's supposed to work around our lives God you got to work around my schedule hmm that's how they ended up in captivity. And so we've got to make sure that God is number one. And so they went back, and they're supposed to be going back to rebuild. Ezra chapter 2, there's a little gap between Ezra chapter 2 and Ezra chapter 3. The king uh, had told them, the Persian overlord, he had told them, hey, I want you to go back. I want you to go back and not only go back there and rebuild, but pray for my sons, pray for me. I want to be on the throne as long as possible. Let these Jews go back. And so he gave them everything that they needed so they could go back there. They had all the money. They had the animals. They had the wealth. They could make sacrifices. They had everything that they needed to go back and do the work that they were supposed to do. But in between Ezra chapter 2 and 
Ezra chapter 3, there's a gap. And the, and the Bible tells us if you read the book of Haggai, I'm not trying to introduce all these other people to you. But if you read the book of Haggai, he rebukes the people that went back. Why? They began to build their own houses there. They left the temple work that they were called to do. That they said, we're going to leave out of this, this Babylonian, uh, this Persian empire. We're going to leave from this place where we are. God has called us out. He saved us. Amen. God saved us. And we're supposed to be going back to rebuild the kingdom. What were they doing? They were building their own houses. They were building it up say, hey, well, you know, hey, I could put a little bit of flowers here and I could, I could put a little bit of uh, some rugs down here and then, and then I'm going to call Amazon and order Alexa so I can make sure that I get my packages on time. They were trying to get things together, their own lives together. When the house of God stood in ruins, when it wasn't what it was before, some of the elders, they knew they had seen the house of God before in Solomon's day when Solomon had built that great temple. Some of the elders, they, now they were really old if they were in captivity for 70 years. Some of them had already known the glory of before and the presence of God before and how good it felt. I was talking to a sister this morning. I, I was walking, walking by as we were getting ready to start service. I had, a, I had a couple of minutes. So I began to talk to the sister. And she began to talk to me about soul winning. And she said, you know what? I remember when I used to be able to go soul winning. She talked about her legs and about how, you know, that she has all this pain and she can't walk like she used to. But she's working on it. She had knee surgery and everything. And if I say too much, you might know who it is. But it, uh, she was talking about how she had knee surgery. She wants to go soul winning again. She talked about how exciting it was to be able to go out there on Saturday and to be able to go talk to people, witness to people, invite people out to the house of God. She said, I'm missing something in my life because I'm not going out right now. And so she knows, I want to get back out there. We're missing something when we're not doing the will of God, when we're not being and doing what God called us to do. There's something missing in our lives. And so there was something that was wrong. And so the prophet Haggai, as they were out there building their houses, it could have been a couple weeks, couple months, couple years. We don't know the gap between Ezra chapter 2 and 3. It's not recorded, so we don't know. But he went out there and said, consider your ways. Think about what you're doing. The house of God is in ruin and you're building your own house up and everything looks good in your house. Well, look at the house of God. Look at the spiritual place where the worship of God is supposed to be going on and the spirit of God is supposed to be dwelling. Look at it. Remember what God brought you out of. If it wasn't for him, you wouldn't even be here building this house right now. So they went back to the work that they were supposed to do. And so they put everything in the proper perspective. It's great to put things in the proper perspective. 
I was looking up Pogo Possum, and, and Pastor Davis, he's our founder, a Bible college teacher. He started everything that, that's going on right now. Even this church, Pastor, was very, very uh, influential in, in getting everything going for the organization. And he used to talk about Pogo Possum. He was a, 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 a cartoon character that they put in the, in the newspapers and, and whatnot. And Pogo Possum said these great words of wisdom. He said, we have met the enemy, and he is us. We're the ones that did it. We're the ones that are wrong. The Pogo Apostle said, we are the enemy. We put things in the proper perspective. He said, when we can look back at things, the vision is so much clearer. Hindsight is what? 2020. When we look back at our lives and we can look and see the things that we've done wrong, we say, oh, wow, I wish I wouldn't have never done that. Or we can go forward and say, God, help me to do better. And so we get to this place here where they rebuild the altar. They rebuilt the altar. Why is the altar important? The altar, especially up here, when you come, this is the altar. Some churches have gotten rid of their altars. They put up, you know, the movie theater seats, and I'm not against seats or anything. I'm not saying that, but they, they've gotten rid of the altar. The altar is the place of sacrifice. The altar is the place where you come and you, and you, you give your heart to God. In the Old Testament, when they would come and they would begin, bring those sacrifices up there, there was the burnt sacrifice. That was the burnt sacrifice where they would turn up the heat, they would get the fire going, and they would bring that animal there and put it out there, and it would be burnt, and the ash would be the only things that were left. And so the burnt sacrifice, it represented the fact that, hey, I need God. I bring my sacrifice to God. It demonstrates that God is my protector. God is my provider. I'm looking to you, oh God. God, I bring this sacrifice here because I need you to forgive me of the life that I've been living. God, I've been such a sorry dog and things have not been right in my life. God, I'm going to bring this sacrifice to you. And God say, forgive me, oh God. Do something in my life. Let the sacrifice take the place of my own self, God. I can't stand to be burned, oh God. I can't take the heat, but this animal can take the heat for me. And so that altar, anytime you see an altar in the Old Testament, what does it represent? It represents the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what Christ did for our lives. It represents the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ became a great sacrifice for us. He was one that did absolutely nothing wrong. In the Old Testament, they had, those animals had done nothing wrong. They had not done any sin. They had not got drunk. They had not got on there and gone everywhere and did all these other things that they should not have been doing. They did nothing wrong. Jesus Christ has done nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. He lived his life yet without sin. He lived a holy, spotless, pure life, but yet we were the ones that were wrong. And so that altar represents the fact that Christ went to the cross of Calvary for us. Christ went to that cross, put his arms up there, and said, I'm going to take the heat for these people that you created, oh God. I'm going to take their place on the cross. I'll be their substitute. Jesus Christ became that one to let us know how important it is for us to make that sacrifice. We're seeking the guidance of God. God, we're trying to obey your commands. God, we're trying to look to you. Oh, God, God, help us, God, to turn up the heat in our own lives. 
What are you standing on? This pastor, he went to his congregation, he, he, he made a questionnaire. And on that questionnaire, he put on there, if you were to die right now and you're standing before God, why should God let you into heaven? Various answers came back on the questionnaire. One teenager got it right. He said, I am standing on the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm standing on what he has done. Not on my own merit, not on my own goodness, not on my own righteousness, but I'm standing on the fact that Jesus Christ is my Lord. He's my Savior. He's done it all for me. He laid his life down on the cross of Calvary. I've accepted him in my life. He washed my sins and made me completely whole. That's the work that I'm standing on. We need to come to God. And so God starts turning up the heat in your life. What are you going to do? As I said, don't run out of the kitchen. Don't run away. Say, Pastor's turning up the heat. He wants me to come soul winning. Pastor's turning up the heat. He wants me to come to another service. Pastor's turning up the heat. He wants me to pay my tithe. No, the Bible wants you to pay your tithe. Amen. Tithe is just a way of putting God first in your life and obeying what God wants to do. You got to rearrange your life and rearrange your finances in order to pay your tithe. But that's what God wants us to do anyway. God rearranged everything so you could get saved, didn't he? I know he did it in my own life. Somebody that I would not have ever met, God had introduced me to somebody, and I got my life right with God. God took me, and, 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 and through, the, through the, the, the mercy of God, I ended up in the military and, 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 and in New York and upstate New York, and somebody invited me out to church. I would have never met that person had God not orchestrated my life and rearranged everything so that I could come to church. And get right with God. And so God rearranged everything for you. Why can't you rearrange your life for him? Turning up the heat. 20 minutes of prayer a day. Inviting two people. Three chapters in the Bible. Or you go up in the different levels. And pastor said, we're not going to quiz you or see what you're doing. But the heat is being turned up. Why? Because we want to do more for God. I want to be more for God. One man said it this way, I'd rather live my life and, and, and be drowning and, and trying to get to God and let Jesus pick me up than sitting there in that boat and wonder what would have happened if I would have gave my life to God. I'd rather give it all. I'd rather go all the way. I want to see what God can do in my life if I just give him everything. If I say, God, I'm going to give you my time, my life, my heart, my all. God, what can you do? I'm getting ready to I'm getting ready to close, amen? <laughs> if you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Then you come to the entrance. When the heat is turned up in dough, and you're trying to make bread, when the heat is turned up, what happened? The yeast rises. It rises to the occasion. The heat rises, and that's how we're able to make bread, all those chemical compounds, they start to react one with another and, and things start to happen and that yeast rises and it comes up. Why? Because the heat has gotten turned up in your life. God wants you to do more. 
God wants you to be more. God wants you to have more. What does it take? It takes the baptism of the Holy Spirit for more to happen in your life. You say, you know what? I've reached this point. I prayed to God. I've given my life to God. I got saved and and God's done something in my life. Is there more? Oh, yes, there's so much more. God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. God wants to see what what can happen in your life when you give yourself to him. When you come down here to the altar and you lift up those hands, you're saying, God, I want the heat to turn up in my life. God, I want the Holy Ghost to come into my life. And God, I want to rise to the occasion. I want to be a soul winner. I want to be what you want me to be. God, I want to be a witness to this world. God, I want to be more than I was yesterday, last week, last month, last year. God, I want to do something great for you. And God will help you do it. And so that God's turning the heat up in your life. Reverend Tudor is going to come and lead you in the altar call. God's turning the heat up in your life. Maybe you need to be saved and get your life right with God. Maybe you've been trying to build your own life. Come down here and give your heart to God. Maybe you need the Holy Ghost baptism. God's turning up the heat in your life. You need to come down here and give yourself to God. Maybe you need to be a soul. And then once again, God's turning up the heat in your life. Come on down and get to God.